You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. You know how every year uh, everyone starts to complain around October that all the stores are setting up the Christmas stuff, right? I hear that every time. It's like, oh, man, they got Christmas. I mean, it's not even Halloween yet, and they're trying to sell me fruitcake at Walgreens, and there's this big problem. Man, we, we start earlier and earlier for Christmas. I'm not going to get on that bandwagon because I'm happy that it's Christmas now. But uh, have, you, have you been to the house in town? Uh, they set up this epic Christmas display. I mean, every square inch of their front yard and inside their house is covered with lights, and, and they start setting up in September. It's crazy. The, if you haven't been there, talk to me later. I'd love to tell you where it is. It's a great place to take your family. They do an open house. They let you come in. It's really cool. But the idea that we're always ready for the next thing is on my mind as I think about that. Like, the reason that is, the reason we start Christmas so early is because we're ready for the next thing. And I, I remember last Christmas, after we got done, we did some uh, after-Christmas shopping, you know, where you return all the stuff that you don't really want and you just want to get the gift card for. And, like, so we do all that. And then what's up at the stores? Valentine's Day stuff. It's still December. We got Valentine's Day out. Because why? Because the stores know this. You got to be prepared for what's next. I, I speak a lot with young couples who are uh, about to get married and are planning a wedding ceremony. And um, there's a consistent thing with this. This is what I found. Ladies, on average, I think you guys start planning for your wedding in the third grade. I think that's about when it begins, and you've got like the three-ring binder, and it's all about, you know, the, the different, uh, the, the dress, and, and the flowers, and the patterns, and I don't even know what all, and then there's also this thing, like by the time you're about 22, 23 years old, you've already promised like 17 people that they could be bridesmaids, and so, which really puts us guys in a tough situation, because we don't have that many friends, so then we're standing like, well, yeah, what about your cousin Bill? He could be in the wedding. Well, yeah, but I don't really like Bill. I don't care. Susan's got to walk in with somebody, okay, you know, and so we're more like, I'm getting wed- married, I guess I'll just... I guess I'll just tell Jim eventually. I'll do it later, you know. But, and I'm, I'm joking, but it's, it's funny because it's true because we put so much energy into the planning of the wedding. We spend so much money, we give all this energy in, and then this thing happens when the wedding ceremony is over and we, I've seen it time and time again, and it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing, but the, the bride and groom, they'll celebrate, woo, we're finished, we're done, it's over. This thing that we have been working on and laboring on for months is just through. And then all the married couples who've been married like 10, 5, 15, 20 years, they're like, finished, through. Ain't nothing finished. You're just getting started. Like this is not even the starting line. You're just getting started. And, and it's okay to celebrate those moments, but we realize the truth is it just inaugurates a new phase of life. Now, a lot, of, a lot of you might not be married, but I think we can all pretty much relate to that moment in, in high school when you're a senior in high school. You know, and graduation day comes, and you're like, yes, yes, no more school, no more books, no more teachers, dirty looks, or whatever the old thing is. And you're like, yay, school's out, and you throw your hat up in the air, you're like, it's finished, it's finished, it's finished, it's just time to party and do nothing but, but then like two months later, you wake up, and you're like, oh, it's not finished, and we're just getting started. This is just the beginning. Those of you, we got a lot, a lot, a lot of our college students are actually away on college break right now, but those of you who are still here, they're in college I don't want to burst your bubble, but the same thing happens four years later, or seven years later. Sometimes it takes that long. And, and, and it's, college is over, not really, because then new life begins. It's that idea of coming to what seems to be an ending and then realizing that it's really just the beginning that I want to talk about this morning. 
Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the Christmas, the untold stories, or the untold stories of Christmas. A few weeks back, we talked about pulling back the uh, facade of what was happening on the physical level in the physical world. Uh, when you talk about the Christmas story, I mean, you got Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and the manger and all of that, but pulling back what's happening on the surface and looking into what's going on in the spiritual realm and the untold story of Christmas is that Christmas is a war story. It's a story about God coming down and having this spiritual war with forces of evil. And it's this epic battle that's happening under the surface of the Christmas story. It's an amazing thing. Last week we talked about another untold story of Christmas. You know that we talked about the upside down kingdom of God. And that God does things and, and honors things and views things way differently than we do. That his politics are completely different. An untold story of Christmas is that it's a political story. And there are actually other nuances that we didn't even get into about that. And this week, you know, I kind of I battled with a lot of different ways I wanted to go this week because there's so much more that can be said about the meaning and the implications of the Christmas story. But today what I want to say is this, that Christmas was just the beginning. An untold story of Christmas is that it was just the beginning. And God was up to something so much bigger. I remember sitting with my wife in the hospital uh, just before both of our children were born. We have two kids, and uh, I talk a lot about my kids, and I, I'm not going to tell lots of uh, funny, cute stories about them today, but just the moment that, that I want to kind of encapsulate that moment, what an, ang an anxious buildup that had been. Nine months of just waiting, especially with our first child, because just like, we've never done this before. We've never done this before. And then with our second child, like, well, this one was going to be a girl, and we had a boy already, and oh my goodness, what have I got myself into? And, you know, this whole idea, and there's this nine months building and building and building, and then there's this, there's this temptation at the end. And you guys who have, like, grown children, you know this, that after the child is born, you're, you want to be like, whew, especially, you know, ladies, whew, it's over. But really, what happened? You're just getting started. And I think... When you take that idea of a child being born and you overlay it over the Christmas story, the idea of Jesus coming into the earth, it's interesting to wonder and to speculate and even to read in based on what we see in the Bible is what it must have been like to have that anxiety finally relieved when Jesus was born. I haven't done this yet through this series. I was saving it for today. Uh, I haven't actually just read through the basic Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. And so if you've got a Bible today, we're going to do that. Grab your Bible. There's several that are spread around under your chairs there. Those are free. We give Bibles away for free. If you're a guest, please take one if you need a Bible. There's also some that the scripture will be on the screen behind me. But we'd be in Luke chapter 2, second book of the New Testament. They're in the back third of the Bible. And this is a book that's all about the life and the teachings of Jesus. Luke chapter 2. And this is the Christmas story. This is the one that Linus tells Charlie Brown in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Let's start there. Luke 2, 1 through 7. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. We're talking about King David uh, from the Old Testament of the Bible, the same guy that when he was a little guy, he, he swung his slingshot and he killed the giant. Same guy, becomes a king. Years down the line, we have this guy, Joseph, who is the earthly father of Jesus. Pretty cool. So he belonged to the line in the house of David, and so they go to Bethlehem, which is David's hometown. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. We talked a little bit about that last week. But while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, 
a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and she placed him in the manger because there was no guest room available for them. You know, after a baby is born, the real work begins, doesn't it? I mean, there's so much work that goes into just raising this infant, especially when they're in their earliest stages. I made a joke a few weeks ago, but it's so true that human babies are some of the most helpless creatures on the planet. They can't do anything by themselves. They can't go find food. They can't stay warm by themselves. They can't do anything by themselves. And there we find the Son of God. God becomes man, makes himself flesh. And how does he come? As a human baby. And just like in any other pregnancy, there was this buildup. There was this nine months of buildup. And I can only imagine when the word comes through town that, uh, you know, the Roman Empire is having a census. And as subjects of the Roman Empire, we've got to go and register in our hometown for this census because they wanted to count all the people, just like we still do today. But Mary and Joseph had a different experience than most parents. When I look at my two kids, they're, uh, they're eight and five now, and I have the same experience that every other parent has. When I look at them, here, here's the truth. I got no idea how they're going to turn out. I don't. I can love them. I can teach them. I can nurture them. I can aim them in the direction that I feel is best for them. But ultimately, what happens? They've got to make their own decisions, right? Those of you who have adult children, you know that even more that you can't know, but here, here's the thing about Mary and Joseph is a little bit different. Though they didn't know the complete picture of what was going to happen with Jesus, both of them actually knew that what they were getting into with the birth of the child was not the end, but just the beginning of something big. We're going to take a second to look back at the buildup into this moment from both Mary and Joseph's perspective. And we'll be still looking in the Bible. We'll be in Luke chapter 1 now. Rewind just a little bit. And what happens before Jesus is born is an angel actually appears to Jesus because God is going to become flesh. He's going to make Mary pregnant with a human baby that is also divine. Crazy, I know. Stick around. We talk about it more and more if you're a guest. But God didn't want her to be unprepared for this. So it comes to her through an angel. Let's check out what happens in Luke chapter 1, verse 31 through 35. The angel comes to Mary and says, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked. Since I'm a virgin. Can we stop there? That's a really good question. How will this be? Since I'm a virgin. The angel answers, the angel answers and says, well, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, I've gotten some pretty important messages in my life. Like, I got an email one time that was like, we think your Facebook account has been hacked. Like, that's pretty important, right? I got some pretty important messages like, yeah, you need to have this bill turned in by this time. Like, we get some pretty important messages in life. Imagine God coming to you saying, uh, yes, the Holy Spirit's going to cause you to have a baby. What? What kind of news is that? I mean, how do you even take that in? As a small, as, as, a, as a young woman, you're just like, what? I, I love Mary's response. She just says, well, let it be done to me as you have said. Like, if that's, if that's what needs to happen, then I guess that's what's going to happen. But this is huge. And this is Mary's buildup. As she's waiting this nine months, and she's singing the songs to her belly, and she's preparing, and she's going through all the physical stuff that goes along with having a baby, she's sitting there going, Son of the Most High is here. It's this God. I don't understand it. What I do know is that I was a virgin and now I'm pregnant. So I do believe in miracles. But wow. Now she has to go and talk to her, her then fiance and say, Hey, Joseph, listen. Don't freak out, but I need to tell you something. 
And Joseph has the same reaction that you would imagine any self-respecting man would have. And, and, and they, they probably spoke Aramaic or some form of Hebrew. And so I'm going to give you kind of the rough translations of what I think maybe Joseph kind of sort of said. But I'm thinking that she probably tells him and he probably said, hold up. <laughs> that ain't my baby. <laughs> you know, like, I'll, what? what? She says, no, 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 no. There, there's no other man. There's not been another man. Right. Yeah, I was born yesterday, Mary. Right. Listen, this is bad. You've disgraced me. And there's this whole thing that happens between Mary and Joseph because she has to tell him, this is what's going on. God has caused me to have a baby. And he's like, no, that doesn't happen, honey. <laughs> that's not how this works. There's birds and there's bees, and I'm not sure how they work together, but that's where babies come from, right? And so this is this conversation. And so then Joseph needs a message from God. So this is really cool. God sets him up. God gives it to him. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 the second half of verse 20 and verse 21, the angel also comes to Joseph. Check this out. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Joseph, in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Just like she said. And she'll give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. So the angel comes to Joseph too. Begins to prepare him for this journey that they're about to begin. I love that the angel actually clarifies to him, his name shall be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Uh, we're English speakers and so we don't actually see this when we just look right directly at the text. The name Jesus is actually from an old Hebrew word, Yeshua. The name was Yeshua. It's equivalent to our modern day English name, Joshua or Josh. You could actually call Jesus Josh if you wanted to. Okay, kind of cool. And Josh is in the room. You'd be like, hey, I'm named after Jesus. That's pretty sweet. Because the word Yeshua, Joshua, and even Jesus, what it means translated literally is Savior. Savior. When you look back in the Old Testament, there's another Joshua. And that's actually what he does. He plays the role of this leader of the nation of Israel. And he actually sets, uh, continues to set them free after Moses had done a similar thing. And so that name Je Yeshua is a strong, strong name. And it means Savior. And for Joseph and Mary, the anticipation of this moment as it builds. Whereas many of us, we look at the moment where a child is born or graduation happens or uh, there's the end of a wedding ceremony and we're like, well, that was great. I wonder what's next. Mary and Joseph were like, I still wonder what's next, but I know. I know that this is just the beginning. A little sidestep here. Um, I don't know how much you've thought about Mary and Joseph. If you grew up in a Catholic home, uh, I mentioned last week, you probably notice there's a lot more emphasis on Mary, and maybe you, you feel a, a different kind of connection with Mary. But the, the, the story of Mary and Joseph is interesting because there are so many unanswered questions. Uh, like, here's one that I often have wondered. I wonder if Mary and Joseph ever doubted what they were doing, especially Joseph, because you're thinking, okay, there wasn't another man? Are you sure there wasn't another man? Because you're pregnant. Like, I know, I, I know the angel came, and I know it was very real, but, you know, we have these doubts, right? And even Mary. And she's sitting there going, is this crazy? She was, she was outcast from her own uh, family and society and her neighborhood because she was an unwed, pregnant young girl. It was just taboo. And I just wonder if there were ever moments when they doubted God's plan. 
I love that God sets them up with some perfect reminders. Uh, for example, we talked last week about the shepherds. Uh, I think it's, it's really fitting that God did some pretty amazing things to confirm his promise to Mary and Joseph. Last week we talked about these shepherds who came to, to visit Jesus uh, in the stable. Now, I want you to take a step away from the shepherd's perspective because that's what we see. Like They see this angel choir in the sky and they're going to go visit the baby and we're going to look for him. He's going to wrap it in clothes and his clothes and it's going to be awesome because God is going to prove it to us. Imagine it from, Jesus, from Mary and Joseph's perspective. Because they've just had this long journey to Bethlehem, right? And the baby's born, Mary's exhausted, Joseph's just like, oh my goodness. Whew, okay, I'm a dad now, I gotta take care of this baby. Everything's going on, they couldn't find anywhere to stay, so they've been put back in this kind of cave-style stable in the back of somebody's yard in the middle of a field somewhere, and all of a sudden, knock, 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 a bunch of shepherds just walk up on their stable. Uh, is there a baby in here? Maybe by chance? I'm Joseph, I'm like, hold up, ho, 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 back up, guys. Who are you? Listen, you know, I'm protecting my little family. All these shepherds have just walked up on me and said, oh, wait, wait, it's okay, it's okay. We just got a message from God, from some angels. It was amazing, and we were so afraid, and Joseph's like, what? I know, right? It's terrifying when they talk to you. And they just start swapping stories about when the angels came. And I'm guessing the shepherds probably stuck around for a little while because they had a little bit of a walk. And they talked, and they visited, and they praised God. And in this moment, you got Mary and Joseph going, we're not crazy. We're not crazy. The, the angels came to the shepherds. Wow, God is so cool. And, and so that's just one little piece. And, you know, I just wonder if, if there's just this moment when Mary and Joseph just look at each other and go, I guess this kind of stuff happens when the Son of God is living in your house. Like, I guess this kind of happens. And then a little while later, a group of wise men from the east, they've been traveling. They're like astronomers. And they've noticed this amazing thing happening in the sky, the star and they're living in a different place now, Mary and Joseph are. But all of a sudden, these guys walk up. And I'm guessing they're probably like Asian. They're not from the local place. It says they're from the east. And they're just walking up. And, I'm, you know, you've seen the pictures. Let's just pretend that it looked just like that. They're walking on camels and they've got on big robes. And they come up and they're like, hello, we are here to worship your son. If someone ever shows up to my house to worship my children, um, I'm calling the police, right? But this is what happens. These guys, they just show up. We, we have seen this amazing thing in the stars. We've been studying it. And so we looked into your scriptures, and we found that there's been a prophecy that a, son was gonna be, a child was going to be born. We're here to bring him praise and to worship him. What confirmation that must have been for Mary and Joseph. We're not crazy. God is up to something huge, and this must be just the beginning. You think Mary looked at Joseph and was just like, you know, we should probably keep some extra sheets and pillows in the closet just in case this stuff happens again, because people are just going to come, I guess. Apparently, it was just the beginning. An untold story of Christmas is that it was just the beginning, and, and the more it all unfolded, I just can't imagine what it must have been like for Mary and Joseph to sit on the front row as the Son of God begins to unfold God's plan to redeem the world from their sins. It's just the beginning. You know, we don't know much about Jesus' childhood. We don't know anything about how he learned language or about how he walks. And we often speculate, well, yeah, he was a little boy and he probably fell down and skinned his knees just like everybody else. And that's probably true. But we don't know. The Bible only records one story from his, quote, childhood, okay, when he was 12 years old. Do you know this story? We're going to read it. It's going to be in Luke chapter 2. It's actually the story right after the birth story in the book of Luke. And so if you've got your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 2. What happens is that uh, they were out at this religious Jewish festival, and uh, they, were, they were ready to go home, Mary and Joseph, and their son was gone. They were out, and he was missing, and they couldn't find him. Um, one thing that's interesting is that Jesus was 12 years old, and as a young Jewish boy, I mean, he, he was, 
he was all the rights of a man. I mean, he, he was beginning to live manly. So I don't want you to get this image that maybe Mary and Joseph had like lost Jesus. Sometimes we feel that. If you know that story, it's like, oh, they, they lost Jesus. No, I mean, he was out doing things that, that boys his age would do, but it had been a while since they'd seen him. Okay, and so they begin to get worried. So they go looking for him. This is where we pick it up. Luke chapter 2, verse 46 through 50. It says, after three days, they found him in the temple courts. He wasn't in a ditch playing with frogs. <laughs> he was in the temple courts, and he was sitting among the teachers. He was listening to them, and he was asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Or in modern day, we have been worried sick. Where have you been? And Jesus' answer is, is great. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Like, why didn't you just come here first? If I'm going to be anywhere, I'm going to be in the temple. What a weird thing to hear from your son who's 12 years old. You see everybody else battling with their kids at 12, and then you look over and your kid, not only is he in the temple, but he is sitting among the teachers, among the wisest uh, biblical scholars in the area, asking really intelligent questions, and the things he's saying is making them going, go, wow, this kid's bright. I guess that kind of stuff happens when you're raising the Son of God in your house. It's really cool to get this picture and this snapshot into a window of Jesus' early life. Because what it shows me is that the thing that God began at Bethlehem continued to sprout and grow and flourish throughout Jesus' life. And the Christmas, an untold story of Christmas, that it was just the beginning. It was just the beginning. I'm going to take a quick step away from that uh, and talk about something a little bit different. Uh, life is a lot like any good story. Uh, as some of you guys I know are into reading, I talk to a lot of you, you, you read books, you love story, or maybe you love good movies, you love stories, you love storytellers, and one of the things maybe that you enjoy about the Bible is the fact that there are so many stories, and every great story I think can be broken into basically three good component parts. And when you look at life, when you look at any good story, and you even look at the story of Jesus as it unfolds, uh, I want to take a look at these three parts and kind of lay them over and see how we can learn from this. The first part of any good story is the beginning. It's the beginning. It's the start of the story. What it does is it sets up uh, the story. It does some character development. It gives you the scenery that we're within. It creates a canvas for which you to paint the rest of the story on, right? That's the beginning. That's the first few minutes of any movie. Uh, and in real life... The beginning is everything that's happened to you up until right now. That's been the beginning. You might feel like, well, I'm in my 50s. I feel like it should be at least past the beginning by now. Um, but the truth is, life is a cycle and it continues to start over. And so everything that's happened to you up until this moment has been the beginning. It's been the setup. It's been the character development. It's been laying the stage for the rest of your life to play out. And the beginning of Jesus' story is what we've been talking about for the last couple weeks. It's that idea that God had a plan and that he sent himself, came in the form of a human being and that Mary and Joseph brought him into the world and that he lived a life. And that's the beginning of his story. We see that in the beginning of God's story in week one that it was God's response to the spiritual darkness that was in the world. The beginning of Jesus' story we saw in week two was it was God showing us a part of his heart and his mind as he showed us the upside down kingdom of God. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of the story. There is this transition that happens from the beginning of the story to the part of the story that we get really interested about. 
Now, if you study literature, you know uh, maybe there's something called the rising action. It's this thing as the story builds and grows. But every great story has a second part, and it's conflict. Conflict. Conflict's that part of the movie where the, uh, the president gets on TV, and he's like, people of Earth, we've been attacked by Martians. Stay calm. Like, this is, this is conflict. It's when you realize that the plot is being challenged. Okay, let's talk about real life for a second. Conflict, anybody? You experienced it? That's how you know life is happening. <laughs> when there's conflict, that's how you know life is happening. Because as the, as the action rises and as life goes on, there are things that rise up to challenge the plot. God had created us to live a life that was embracing him and his love and living in his purity and living in his kindness and living in his grace. That's how God created mankind. But conflict arises. In real life, in real life conflict comes. And maybe the conflict in your life is, is relationship conflict, a problem there. Maybe it's financial problems. Maybe it's addiction that you have. Maybe it's some sort of uncertainty or doubt or fear. Maybe it's stress. Maybe it's physical pain. I know one thing that a lot of people deal with in terms of conflict is just, I'm just sore, I'm just sick, I'm dealing with this thing physically, and it's real. And so you fill in the blank with your conflict. The conflict in Jesus' story began before he even came to earth. This conflict between God and spiritual forces of evil that wanted to take out mankind. This is the conflict that he came down to resolve. And Jesus came to give us a way back to God. He came to destroy the effects of sin and evil in our soul. And the spiritual conflict is what led Jesus to the next phase of the story. It's the third part of every great story. So we've got the beginning, we've got the conflict. And then every conflict rises, the action rises, to what we just call the climax. It's the climax of the story. This is the part of the movie that you sat through two hours of, waiting for. You saw the trailer, you saw the preview. You're so pumped about this one moment of the movie where the big battle happens. It's that part of the book where you're just flipping through the pages as fast as you can possibly read. You're on the edge of your seat and everybody else who's sitting around you in the room is looking at you going, look, look. And you're just like, oh, I gotta know, I gotta know. That's where the climax happens. If you wanna picture it visually, I mean, imagine that the story is happening and you are climbing this mountain. And you're working through life or you're working through the story and this ascent is uncertain and the terrain is often perilous. But as you climb and climb and climb, you reach the peak. It's the climax. Because from that point, you can look forward and you can see how everything else is going to play out. You've seen that in the books. You've seen that in the movies. You're like, well, okay, I know what's going to happen now. It's where all the energy is released and now you see how the story plays out. And it's from that plateau, from that climax place that you can see the point of the story. Some of those climaxes are great. Those are the moments that we talked about earlier. You know, it's the birth of a child, it's graduation day, it's celebration, it's those things. I wish that I could say all of those moments were great. But some of them aren't, right? Some of those moments are the struggle and then finally the phone call that you didn't get the job. Sometimes it is that moment that you realize the relationship is over. Sometimes it's the final breath of a loved one who's been battling, struggling, fighting, and everything came to a head. Sometimes it's checking into rehab to get through whatever it is you're going through. But these moments are defining, and they make our stories what they are. And Jesus' defining moment happens in this climax, his story built and built, and as he lived, and as he served, and as he loved, and as he taught, everything pointed to the moment where he would do what he came to do. 
The Christmas story is just the beginning. And it led to a moment where Jesus, God in human form, willingly gave his life up on a Roman cross. In that moment, Scripture teaches that he bore the sins of all humanity on his own shoulders. He struggled for a final breath. His chest heaved forward. And he gasped his final phrase. You know what it was? Let's read it. John 19.30. Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. An untold story of Christmas is that it was just the beginning. And as Jesus came to do what he came to do, he breathed out, It is finished. It was just the beginning of God's love for mankind. And with these words, it is finished, everything came to a head. Christmas was just the beginning. And we read that Jesus' mother, Mary, she was kind of standing there in the crowd as he died. I wonder what that moment must have been like for her. As she just thought back maybe to the moment when the angel first visited her. Or maybe she remembered holding him as a baby. And they'd begun this journey 32 years earlier. And here she was watching him give up his last breath. And it was all drawing to a close. And I wonder if she just wondered, is this it? Is this all? It's moments like these that are super sobering. And I don't like to be the kind of teacher that takes us to this place a lot. If you come here often, you know that. I like to, be, I like to look at the bright side. I look at the joyful moments of, of, of faith. But this moment, where Jesus breathed his final breath as a human the most important moment of all history. And maybe you already know the part where three days later he raises from the dead and actually makes the other most important part of history. But I want to take a second just to sit in this moment. I'm, I'm, I'm positive that it was this moment that the Apostle Paul was thinking about when he wrote down these phrase, this phrase in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. I'm just going to read it to you. It's very poetic. It's very songish. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. I've been to funerals. I've been to, I've actually preached more funerals than I have weddings. And I've been to a lot of them. And some of them are funerals for people that are like 80, 90 years old. And you're at their funeral and everyone's like, this is right. This is good. This is good. Grandma lived a good life and it's time. I've been to other ones, guys. When you're just there and you're like, this is just wrong. This is not right. This wasn't supposed to happen. I had a good friend in high school. His life was tragically taken in a car accident. I remember sitting at his funeral, crying, this is just not right. It shouldn't have happened this way. I've got very good friends who had a baby who died, only a few months old. And you're, to see their family, you're like, this is wrong. This shouldn't be happening. And here's Mary and the followers of Jesus, and they're standing at the foot of the cross, and there he is, God in the flesh. And they've seen him do miracles. And they've heard angels proclaim his greatness. And in that moment, they're like, this is wrong. This isn't how it was supposed to go. Why? 
And when we look at Jesus' story, there's some element of, of why. What? It, it seems uncalled for. He's God. He lived a perfect life, yet he died the death of a criminal. But the untold story of Christmas is that it was just the beginning. Jesus was able to offer a new beginning because he gave his life. Listen to what Jesus' closest friend Peter, one of his closest friends, said about this moment also. This is where we're going to turn the corner here, guys. I'm getting excited. 1 Peter 2.24 says this. That he himself, talking about Jesus, he himself bore our sins on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. The untold story of Christmas is that it was just the beginning. And the really awesome part is that when he is, says it is finished, the untold, the untold story of the cross is that it was just the beginning. It was just the beginning of a whole new story. Because as Jesus rises from the grave three days later and he defeats the one thing that separates us from God, our sin which leads to death, he starts a whole new story. And guess who gets to be in that story? You. You and you and you and you and all of us and me. We get to be in God's new story. God said, it is finished, but this is just the beginning. I'm starting something brand new. Maybe today was the first time you heard this. <laughs> I, I know this is how I do sometimes. I get a book, and I open it up, and I read the first chapter, maybe the first two chapters, because it's really good, and my friends tell me, you should read this, and you read it, and you read it, and you're like, this is awesome, this is awesome. I'm going to read this book. And then, I close it, and I put it down, and I never open it again. I had really good intentions. In fact, that book really pointed to something that I was very interested in. I was pretty certain that I could learn something powerful from that book, but I walked away, and I never pick it up again, and I don't know what happened. You ever do that? You ever, uh, maybe you're getting ready for work in the morning, you got the TV on, some awesome movie comes on, you haven't seen it before, and so you see the first 15 minutes, and you're like, oh, this is a good movie. I've heard good things about this movie, but then you got to go to work, so you turn the TV off, and then you never know what happened. You don't get to finish the movie. It's not on Netflix, and there's no such thing as Blockbuster. I'll never see the movie ever again. Has it ever happened to you when you've been with a friend, and they're telling you an awesome story, and they're in the conversation, and they're getting into it, and you're ready, and you're feeling it, and you're getting excited, and they get a phone call that interrupts them, and they walk away, and you're like, ah, how is it done yet? How is it? Write that down. Please don't forget to tell me the end of that story. I didn't know how it finished. So often, that is how we are with God. We find out about the beginning. We find out that there is a God. We find out that God loves us. We come at Christmas and we find out that, oh yeah, okay, the whole Christmas thing, I've seen the nativity scenes outside people's houses. Right, God came to earth. And we start at this point, and maybe that's where you are. And it's really easy for us to hear this today and be like, man, that is intriguing. I want to find out more. And we say, that's just the beginning. And we read a little bit of the book, and then we close it. And we sit it down, we walk away, and we never find out how it ends. Maybe you this morning, you're someone who is just getting started in Jesus and church and God, and, and maybe this is your first time here, your second time here, your third time here. I'm going to tell you, the story gets on and on better and better as it just infuses with your life. It changes you. It helps to make this world a better and brighter place. Keep picking up the book. Keep coming back, and maybe, maybe you're just getting involved for the first time. Just come back to church just one more time. In fact, you can come back this, this coming Wednesday. We have another service in like three days. You can come right back here as we celebrate Christmas together. 
Maybe you're someone who, you, you know the story. You, you know kind of how it happens. In fact, maybe you were obedient and, and decided, uh, you know, I'm going to live for Jesus, and you decided I'm going to get baptized, and you come out of the waters of baptism, and you're like, yeah, and so often, I'm guilty of this. I have friends that go through this moment. They decide to live for Jesus. They decide to become Christians. They've got that beginning of the story. And God has this amazing life planned out for them that they can make a huge difference in the world. But no one takes the time to follow up with them, to sit down and just, let's read this Bible. Let's find out what's more. Let's find out what more you can do in God's name throughout this world. And maybe that's you. Maybe you had the beginning of the story, but you're just still in the middle, and you put the book down, and you're just kind of like, eh, I do it at Christmas, and I do it at Easter, and I do it when it suits me, or when things get bad and I need to pray because I'm scared. Continue the rest of the story. Christmas is just the beginning. Guys, as a church community, our church has just turned one year old back in September. And we're coming up this first year and a half, and there's a lot of excitement. But this idea of being a church that truly reaches out to our community and tells people who don't know about God's love about his love, it would be real easy for us as a community in year two, three, four, and five to be like, you know what we need to do? We need to get out of this place and build us a building somewhere, settle down, kind of just close ourselves off to the rest of the world and decide that we're going to focus on getting ourselves just right. But man, our mission as a community, as people who know about Jesus, his last words to his followers were go into the world and make disciples. Tell people that I've come. Christmas was just the beginning. Continue my message of love for generation after generation after generation. (laughs) It could be that you're just feeling a little bit dry. And I know for me, something I share with my friends from time to time is like, you know, I'm just kind of in a funk right now, spiritually. Maybe it's time to just reboot. And today can be a moment where you go, you know what, I'm going to kind of make this my early New Year's resolution. I'm going to focus on living out the story that God has begun to tell through me. One of the greatest parts of the Christmas story, and probably another untold element, is that we're all invited to participate. God made himself a man, and he came to earth as a human named Jesus, the Savior, and it was just the beginning. And now we are living in the never-ending story of God's love. Let me pray for us today. Lord, I love you so much, and I praise you for the opportunity just to share uh, your story, your word. I ask that as we go from this place, whatever we've got planned this week, some of us have some time off. Lord, help us to uh, celebrate. Yes, this is the end of a year. <laughs> this is a moment to celebrate. This is a, one of those climax moments. But help us from the top of that space to look down and think, what can I do next? How can I continue to pursue God, be a God-chasing, grace-shaped love agent with my life? Lord, we love you so much. And as we lift things, these things up to you, I pray for those around the world. Um, for this season might not be a happy time for them. That we can find them in our individual lives and we can build community with them and build them up and help them grow and, and love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.